to The Cinema Nerd Presents, made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with the other half of the Force Dyad, uh, mm-hmm. my buddy Dylan, and we're going to talk about The Phantom Menace specifically, but probably Star Wars more generally, because this is a movie podcast. Do we yes. have to talk about what Star Wars is, or should we just... I mean, I think we can... We'll just jump at what The Phantom Menace is the first installment of the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And it follows Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi as they try to uh, protect uh, Queen Padme Amidala of Naboo. Um, Yeah, they're all doing that to stop interplanetary uh, trade disputes and shit (laughs) that's going on in this movie. And then somewhere down the line, fucking a slave named Anakin Skywalker comes into the mix. Right on. Well, before we find out what happens to that little boy, uh, anything else you want to talk about? Have you seen anything with your eyeballs that's worth discussing? Yes, I've actually watched quite a bit of movies, a lot, uh, a lot of movies, but I'm only going to talk about uh, a certain three that I (laughs) love most. (laughs) Let's hear it. Number one, a documentary called Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. All right. Uh, it's about a dive bar in Las Vegas that is going out of business, and I they it was about punk musicians, so we're in oh, the same vein. Yes, it's it's the people that frequent this bar, and it's the last night of the bar being open, and it's just like them trying to have fun, but it's also kind of sad, <laughs> and, oh, and just the characters are so amazing. They are just fun people to watch. I mean, I love uh, flies, and I love one big night kind of movies. So, oh, you gotta watch it. A uh, documentary, man, you'll love it. Right it's on. like you can't write these people because they're just so genuine and real. Yeah, totally. Oh, that sounds fun. Uh, the second one is called Hunter Hunter, and it's got Devin Sawa of Final Destination and uh, Wild America fame, right? <laughs> uh, and and Nick Stahl's fame, yes, uh, but Nick Stahl also of Terminator and, fame, uh, Terminator Three, <laughs> so yeah, uh, but uh, and disturbing behavior and uh, bully. Uh, I know there's a few others, but uh, he, uh, man, that movie is a trip and has a crazy violent ending and the the ending like the the movie isn't violent it's it's about like a husband and his family that are living the secluded life and the the wife wants more for the daughter she wants her to go to school and meanwhile the husband is teaching her the daughter how to hunt and skin animals and live that wild life and there's a wolf that is eating their trap line and uh the Devon Sawa is the husband and he goes on a hunt to find the wolf. And when he finds the wolf, he comes across a bunch of naked dead women. And that starts the movie on a whole nother journey that isn't about the wolf. Hmm. It's like, the movie isn't like, I really like its its first part. Like the, I guess like the, the first hour and 20 minutes is great. And then when it gets to that ending, it's so shocking. Like it's, I was truly not expecting that to happen. They could have set it up a little better, but yeah. that's not discrediting the ending. It's mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Punches it's, hard, huh? Yeah, it goes hard. 
so I highly recommend it on that on that basis. Intriguing. Yeah, and then the third one is oh I've watched it twice now. It's one of the best things I've seen in a while. Uh, it's called The Vast of Night. Oh sure. Have you watched it? No. No, oh. you're not the only one to uh, acclaim it. Yes. Uh, it's man that it's just fucking really interesting <laughs> the do you know what the plot is of it it's no, just man why don't you why don't you fill us in man it's a disc jockey who um in the 1950s new mexico setting uh is doing his radio show and there's a young switchboard operator <laughs> that he is friends with and they are talking to while he's doing the show and they come across a weird weird frequency signal that they hear Ooh, and then they get a couple favorite. calls Good. yeah dude it's it's and oh my god it's it's about the awe and mystery of a ufo and like hearing about it and trying to go investigate it yourself and it has oh, such god. an affinity for the 1950s technology like it's it's so well detailed and shot with many one locked off takes like you are just there with these characters he does the writer director does a really creator a uh, creative way of like utilizing the minimal space that he has for the 1950s like he took over this one town for two weeks in texas mm-hmm. and there's like a one four minute take that just literally takes you through the town sure. and you he orients you to this town and you understand where everything is and you're like i could i could get around here oh i could go with that disc jockey down the fucking road let's go let's fucking go cool. uh dude i can't i don't want to tell too much because i loved it a lot yeah it's i love it even more the second time cool i'm looking forward to that you'll dig it yeah, yeah, it sounds right up my alley for a number of reasons. You're saying a lot of things that I'm I'm way into for sure. How about you? You watch anything? I got a couple. Um, oh, admittedly more mainstream. All of all of mine. Um, something that I caught up with that uh, I hadn't seen since it came out. But um, one of God God bless her, my loving wife seems to be on a mission for 2021 to like catch up on all the prestige movies she's missed. So uh-huh. I'm gonna be watching a lot of that stuff. Uh, so maybe not a prestige movie, but an adult I was, drama. I was gonna be like the prestige. I was gonna be like the prestige. <laughs> um, no, the Edward Norton one actually. Oh, the illusionist. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> But so not necessarily a prestige movie, but a movie that grew on me a lot the second time I watched it. And I liked it the first time, but it was uh, up in the air from what, about 10 years ago or so. Oh yeah. The Clooney, uh, Jason Reitman movie. That's right. And Anna yeah. Kendrick and um, Vera Farmiga is also in there. Yeah, uh, that's a sweet one. What's that? That's a sweet one. Yeah. It's really sweet. And it, it, it yeah, it's got a definite charm to it. And the, the sort of distance of age reflected at youth is something that I appreciated a little more 10 years on, mm. you know, I'm never going to be that guy who's like, well, you'll get it when it's old, when you're older. And I think mm. there's still some pieces of that movie that are missing, but there were, yeah, some themes that I was a little more, uh, uh, 
open to. Uh, the way the movie expressed itself to me, I kind of dug on. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed my experience with that one. Isn't Danny McBride in it as well? Yeah, he's um, <laughs> brother-in-law, right? He's the brother-in-law, and the um, um, I gotta look up her name now because she's a great actress. Also, the wife, um, the sister, you know, because there's this set of sisters who are both great, but the um, main one, who's Danny McBride's wife, they have like a plastic or like a cardboard cutout that George Clooney is taking around. And it's it's so sweet. I don't know. It's Melanie Linsky. Yes, Melanie Linsky. She fucking rules. Also, Sam Elliott shows up for a scene in this movie. And I started saying it earlier, but J.K. Simmons has, it, it. it's the scene that makes the movie work. You know, the whole thesis of his we need to deal with people like people and that's the nature of humanity type of thing hinges on this moment where jk simmons realizes what's going down and there's three great actors at this table all turning in a pretty great performance so worth it i really liked it again and since it's 2021 i've lifted my embargo on new movies and i started with soul Mm, yes i watched it as well yeah you know the thing is with pixar movies and this one was maybe the the strongest example of it for me is the whole time i'm watching it i'm like mm, yes i see what you're doing there very good mm, oh okay nice mm. and then at the end i'm like oh my god i have to go hug somebody let me look at the sunset they're just effective you know they're really really good at what they do man yeah no i liked soul i like it just wasn't one of my favorites of the year because everything they kind of did in that movie, they, it was sort of the basis of what uh, Inside Out did. Sure. And I, I just liked Inside Out a little more. And I, I, I don't know why I was thinking this, but Soul, I thought there was going to be more music to this movie. Like I was really hoping for like a jazzy fucking score or just more than just one song that or two songs that he performs in the beginning and end like i just i wanted some more music fair enough okay fair enough i think two things is and they're kind of related is that when you do like the movie about music or like we talked about recently with that thing you do right the music in that thing you do is legitimately great so Mm -hmm. that works but so often if well, now that you say that, that's exactly what I was kind of hoping for, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. But here's the thing. Even if you love jazz music, which a lot of people don't, like mostly people just don't get jazz music, right? And even if you love jazz music, and probably because you love jazz music, you're likely to have strong opinions about jazz music. So if you really go into this thing wanting your version of the best jazz you're going to be a lot of people are going to be disappointed right there's some yeah, perfect yeah, jazz there's in so movie. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And it, it would be a yeah. mistake to try and do that well right and that's where like the the uh, what was it is it uh funny people right although they're actually pretty good at stand-up but um yeah they are <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying so many movies where it's like oh this dude is the funniest guy or he's the smartest one and the the mm-hmm. trick of it is just like never that good it's not very convincing so see i've I, I it all together but what this movie did that's really really clever 
is instead of avoiding it, it transcends it. It starts us from this jazz place and then gets us into the zone with these like fluttery keys that are just like barely even a genre. You know what I mean? It, it is just this cacophony of, cacophony is not the right word, but a harmonious cacophony of notes, you know, just this collision of incredible uh, cooperation. Anyways, so I, I really think the musical choices were largely successful. I think it was a good decision. And there was something about the middle that just dragged for me. Yeah. Second I thought he was a little like him being him being a cat and her being him went on for way too long. Well, it, it's ratatouille at that point. You know, if we're oh, talking about a better it, movie than Soul. <laughs> right. This is my thing. It's like you're watching it going, all oh, right, okay, this is this is that trick. They're they're at this point in their oeuvre where it they look good. Had their, it's great. It looked crazy good. And I, it I is crazy that. good. It, it's good. It's a real good movie. It's good. I mean, yeah, it's. I'll, I probably won't watch it again, though. That's the thing. That's how I judge it. Like, there's a lot of Pixar's that I've. I. It's actually rare. I haven't watched one in a while, but like, there's the ones that I go to: Toy Story, Wall-E, fucking Bugs Life, Ratatouille. Uh, I was gonna say uh, <laughs> Princess and the Frog, but that's not Pixar. That's just Disney. It's Disney animation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like it's that's just not. not I go to even, I'd rather watch Inside Out than Soul. Maybe, probably because I, I'm, well, no, I don't know. Soul does a, some things for me that I really, really groove on. Like the sort of ethereal metaphysical thing is right after my own heart. You know, it's in most of the scripts that I write. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm here for it. And I also have in my background, a lot of musicians, you know, and I'm sure you do too. So the like- kind of, Some. Okay. But the, the understanding of like the working musician and like the music teacher who is one of the most talented musicians in the city, but you know, they're, that's the way life works. Yeah. And it, I loved everything about his audition for the, and she's like, why is this middle school teacher here or whatever that was. Right. <laughs> oh, and she's so fucking good as she is yeah. every time, man. Uh, Angela Bassett just kills it so so fucking good she was um, yeah her character is probably my favorite part of the movie she was yeah she's a strong part of the movie my biggest complaint is that the i don't love tina fey for most of it i find her a little distracting and more than her performance the sort of integration of those characters and i get that we're doing an, an opposites thing it's strong storytelling but it it's not necessarily a pacing thing but like a that's not even a balanced thing, but, and maybe it's just because I didn't like Tina Fey. Maybe it is that, but the, the way those characters are separated, their storylines don't necessarily unify the way that Ratatouille does or Coco, you know, where it just all comes together in that moment. Yeah. But the fact that they have to kind of split off yeah, they're in both of those stories makes it a little less than yeah, satisfying. That, that ending felt rushed of him trying to go into the zone go back down and then go find her because she's a lost soul and that like that felt like montage -y. like it felt all very yeah, quick maybe. maybe yeah so yeah i think there's a little bit of a structure issue in the last half of the second act with that stuff specifically but beyond that i really and like i said the the way i felt at the end of the movie i was just like god my heart's gonna <laughs> yeah. come all the way okay. out of my body yeah
Yeah. Anything else? Really dug it. Yeah. Um, one more. Speaking of uh, kind of weird endings and structure, and this will lead us nicely into The Phantom Menace, uh, just comfort film kind of falling asleep stuff. We've been working our way through the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we finished the first Lord of the Rings movie. Fellowship. Are you doing the extended or theatricals? The extended, yeah. This As is the first should. time I've done the extended, like maybe, maybe ever. At least since he's done the, because he's done two extendeds, right? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. uh, the, I mean, he did it for The Hobbit as well. But okay. like for Lord of the Rings, there's the extended cut of Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King. They're all okay fair enough yeah they total like 13 hours or some shit like that yeah yeah i actually i could pull it up here it was a uh, answer to a trivia question because one of the games we play in the like as a, a round break you know is um actually it's it's doug benson's game in credit, ah, credit is due but you know um he plays how long is it right yeah so we played how long is it with the lord of the rings extended trilogy version yeah. what what is the it's 13 hours and yeah i mean if you want to vamp right now i have it somewhere give me two seconds i'm just navigating through my folders which contain all of the trivia questions yeah i was a number what couldn't have been <laughs> was it No, you have to say things because I'm reading now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <clears throat> well, I love Fellowship the most. That is my favorite of The Lord of the Rings. How do you feel about the end? Um, I mean, I like it. It because it's it's a cliffhanger of an ending. Like all these, this group has disbanded and they're all separate now. I remember seeing that as a kid, and like probably only like a month had gone by maybe two months since it had been out. I'm like when's the next one coming like when can I see this next movie I I need to know what happens I didn't like I was in fifth grade I was like I, it's coming out soon right I need to see this next part <laughs> okay well before we get too far into that I have it at 11 hours and 22 minutes the combined runtime of all three of them okay well there you go that yeah. sounds about right the yeah, longest one is Return of the King, which is like four hours and nine minutes or something like that. It's 251 minutes, which is four uh, hours. Two, yeah, you're right. Four hours and 11 minutes. Is that right? Cool. There you go. Jesus Christ. That's nutso. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I really love uh, Fellowship also. And Megs is asking me, because I'm like, oh my God, every so often I just can't help but say it out loud. I'm like, this movie is so great. And oh, Fellowship like, is so good, dude. It's so good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, so why? What, what's going on? And I'm like, uh, everything. I just like, we can talk about like each little detail if you want, but it's a incomplete cinematic vision. You know, it's like, it, it's humming on all cylinders, dude. <laughs> And so because we're not talking about that movie, I'm not going to break that down too much. But the reason I asked you is um, when we get to that end and they break apart, sort of like we were saying in Soul, and um, is a recurrent theme through the Star Wars films, this time it left me cold. Just a little bit. Like I th It's always left me cold. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's like the only heartfelt thing about it is that 
like Sam doing his whole moment, like, no, I told Gandalf I would protect you and I'm going to do it. And then he fucking like drowns, drowns and- himself. Yeah. <laughs> and Frodo saves him and pulls him up. Like, that's a sweet moment, but it's still kind of like, fuck, these two hobbits are alone <laughs> and yeah. they're going on a journey for themselves. It's a sweet moment, and there are two really good actors pulling it off, but when I draw back, like, I was just watching be like, bro, you're, you're just drowning yourself now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I get it. We're doing hearts and minds on board. And I, I'm so on board, you know, at that point, I'm like, okay, let's go for it. You know, well, maybe uh, Sam actually thought that like, it's not going to like drop off at any moment. I'm going to walk to you, Frodo. And then it starts dropping off. He's like, oh shit, I'm going to die. I think it's more a test of, of like Frodo's commitment to himself. Right. And the, the theme well, commitment of the to what he promised. Well, no, what he believes he needs to do in order to fulfill his promise, right? So he believes he has to do it on his own. And so the question there is, is he willing to let his friend die for his belief that he needs to do it on his own? Or is this the first time that he comes to the realization that he, he does need actually everybody to make this happen, right? That kind of refusal of the call thing. And that's what that moment's about. And he has to actually watch Sam go all the way down for him to realize like, no, even if he doesn't realize it at that point, these friendships are that important to me. I can't yeah, not let him friend die. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's the heart of the thing. We have to care for each other, right? Can't just watch Absolutely. each other die, man. Um, so I love it. But it launches us into a conversation because I don't <laughs> we're gonna talk a lot of Star Wars, but it, I don't know if it behooves us so much to like we're not gonna say anything new about Star Wars, right? I hope not. not. But I am. We have some, some groundbreaking idea. <laughs> right. I got to take, guys. Get ready, yeah. internet. Um, Hear me out. <laughs> but I am curious about like episodic filmmaking and where it succeeds and where it fails. So this viewing of all of the Star Wars movies, I watched all 11 films. Right? There's 11 of them now? I don't know. There's a big number of them. <laughs> oh, it is 11 because the, the saga, Skywalker saga, is nine. And right. then we have Solo and Rogue One. So for this discussion, I watched those 11 movies and yes. tried to focus more on the prequels. But, you know, anyways, where I think I like the prequels best is in the unsaid stuff in Clone Wars, Attack of the Clones, whatever that movie's called. And it's because there's so many interesting things happening in that movie that don't really get paid attention to that we end up drawing out in the television show, The Clone Wars, right? Mm -hmm. And bear with me, I am making a long point here. These are a long set of movies. It is a saga. We have to expect that as viewers. So we can't seek a complete story out of any one of these things. But that's inherently anti-cinematic, right? So yeah. what's con continually baffling 
is our expectation that we treat them like cinema, right? I don't want to go Scorsese on this thing, but there's great, like Breaking Bad has some shitty episodes, but we don't write off Breaking Bad as like completely broken or they got to fire the showrunner. I mean, that does happen, especially now more, you know, whatever. The Witcher went through that, I think recently, or I can't keep up with these trolls, but yeah. If you think about it as a long run story, the, oh man, sorry, I, I am struggling to land this point. Mythology is, hang on, I wrote it down so that I could say this properly. I did take, <laughs> oh man. Um, Here's what I have to are... say. Are you ready? Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Star Wars succeeds best as television because you can explore the details of mythology. You have the time to do that and you have the freedom to like let dead ends just kind of peter off. When you have to do that stuff in the movie, as we do so much of by the end of the trilogy, it takes all the mystery out of it, right? So you have television, you have cinema. When you're doing cinema, it's better to allude to the mystery and know that the creators know it's there, that we're in this sure hand in a wider world, but right now we're telling a specific story. When we're doing television, it's much more interesting to get involved with those details and find out how that mythology develops and interacts with itself. So Star Wars should probably have been television long before it became television. And I'm kind of excited to see what it becomes with this expanding television universe. Mm -hmm. That's that's my take. Yeah. Thank you for hearing okay. me out. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think there's dull episodes of The Mandalorian too. Like they're, they, they, that, that show's not perfect for me either. Right. And neither was the Clone Wars TV show. Like I never finished it because animated TV shows are kind of hard for me to keep up with. Uh, I just don't care that much about them. But um, these, these prequel movies <laughs> are... I think George Lucas might be a bad writer, director. Like, he's made a couple good movies, but when it comes to his baby, this fucking series, I, he chooses weird things to do and not to do. Like, Phantom Menace is very kid-friendly, kid, kid mm -hmm. but it's got all of these trade agreements and fucking political disputes going on that are like written dumbed down like they sound like they they're written for a five-year-old it doesn't sound mm -hmm. like good i guess that's some sci-fi though a lot of sci-fi is that way it's just cheesy yeah i mean this is particularly flat in that regard right the the prequel yeah. specifically and again, I think the mistake there is like a, the clash where the original trilogy succeeds is in mythology. And that's where Lord of the Rings succeeds is drawing on these uh, Campbell and um, young kind of archetype storytelling. And it doesn't have to be- Lord of the Rings warrants it. Like they have way more interesting characters than Star Wars, like at least like, I don't know. Make Darth true. Maul more of a character in Phantom Menace. I want to see more of Darth Maul. 
I don't yeah. care no. about fucking Jar Jar Binks and the Gungans. I, I don't want any there, of that. But Darth Maul rules because he's the shark in Jaws. You get like how you know four minutes of screen time with Darth Maul, and he's incredibly no. menacing. He's a you know the baddest face and fight and the lightsaber it's so cool I, just, I want more than four minutes of a two and a half hour movie i well maybe you do i don't i think that i do i it cut, uh, i'm gonna go off on phantom menace right now yeah as a kid cool. the pod racing scene was so fucking cool i thought pod racing yeah i want to be anakin and then the more and more you watch it it's the it's terribly directed it's just all shot from uh from a right side perspective so everything is either moving camera right camera right it's all you never are on the left side of a pod racer you go front you go to the front and you can see straight ahead but then you cut to a side and they're making a, a fucking swoop right past the camera and it's it's lazy and it, when you jump to the audience it's shot from a right side perspective that and it's because of the green screen obviously he's i don't know he could have done something with it fuck i don't know it's so boring to look at and it's long it's like four to five minutes of just everything going left to right left to right left to right center left to right left to right center and yeah, then fucking yeah. Sebulba fucking tries to fight Anakin. <laughs> it's too long for sure. I will push back just a little bit. Um, I, I agree that it's simplistic, right? But a maybe a more elegant version of this sort of like repetition of editing is like the center framing from George Miller in Fury Road. And we are talking about, I don't know, maybe it's a kid's movie. But mm, but George Miller explores the 360 of it all. Like you're you are jumping over the motorbikes, uh, the trucks with the motorbikes. You, you're not just going left to right out of camera frame. No, but there That's are all you end up on, but you end up on the pod racer a lot. So where he ends, he goes. It's left to right for sure, but it's very vertical. So he never goes 360 and he never goes like over, but it's also 1999 and he invented the technology for the second time. And what he, he does get you on board the pod race, pod racers. And there's business, which is dumb, you know, about like how you got to get the clamp back together and the, oh my God, it goes over know. there. So yeah. I, I, I agree with, I'll go as far as to say that it's soft, but I, it's not bad. You know what I mean? Lazy, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, of the lazy things going on in these movies, the Padre sequence is the least lazy of them. I think it's one of so the the Darth Maul fight sequence is the best sequence in the prequels, right? It's but it is, and I think it's still kind of lazy. Like I think there needs to be more. They like don't. Uh, like I get it, it's building tension, but don't stop the battle. Like have them keep going. There's a lot of stopping and staring at each other, stopping and staring at each other. I'm like, yeah, I fucking get it. Forth. Well, Qui Gon meditates. That's pure Star Wars. Baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I love the meditating moment. 
that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about more of like because that's later on in the fight. That's toward the end of it. Uh, well, for Qui Gon. <laughs> <laughs> Does he give up there? Does he just fucking succeed and just maybe just let him just yeah, let him have it? Like the Obi Wan thing and the Luke thing. <laughs> Because it's sort of, you know, what it's like the inverse of the Sith, right? Like the Sith, the apprentice always has to kill the master, but then there's always got to be two. So maybe the Jedi's thing is like, I always have, the Jedi always have to sacrifice themselves to... <laughs> the apprentice has to kill the master. Cool. Keep Qui-Gon around and have him kill fucking Dooku in the next movie. Like, there's <laughs> so much more they could have done with fucking Qui-Gon, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I... I'm a soft defender of these movies. My whole thing is like, they're, they're bad movies. They're bad movies. <laughs> Just let's say that for sure. They're all way yes. too long. They yes. have a weird clash of ideas. The CGI is bad, which I'll kind of kind of give, but where it's unforgivable is like in the the layout of these landscapes, which to your point are just not interesting at fucking all broad green fields you know they have the marvel problem like we're just fighting on a, a football field for some reason uh-huh you know it's they're uninteresting to look at largely and when they are interesting to look at they're garish and the cgi is distracting because it is yeah. the same level of animation that is at work on the tv shows like the clone wars animated tv show looks the same as this movie yeah, I'll give Revenge of the Sith a little more credit. Like that's where, like the their CGI started looking really good for the prequel movies. I thought not all of it, obviously. Some of it looks bad, but yeah. like Attack of the Clone or what's it called? Is it Attack of the Clones? I think that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like that one. I don't. It's like it's really boring. There's one sequence I love, which is Obi Wan going to see all the clones and yeah, Camino, uh, that's a cool sequence right yeah great sequence that's the best part of the movie that's also the most star wars of for um, me that's why it feels the most like star wars we yeah. have this like an interesting planet a cool facility there's this fight scene the stakes are pretty fucking high even though it's mysterious yeah no i that's my favorite scene of that whole movie i hate everything that Anakin and Padme have to say in that movie. I hate them rolling around in the grass. Fucking, ugh, I hate them getting married. <laughs> no, it's all really bad. Although the, I've been having an increasing appreciation for like costume work and Padme yeah, looks really revealed. Her hair yeah. and the dress is just like really on point well well crafted in terms of the lady madonna <laughs> vibes that were thrown off totally i'll give that yeah i'll give that yeah and it uh, like, do a sci-fi vibe it's I, there's good stuff in these movies yeah but not the writing not no, the dialogue right? very bad um and the, the direction is also overall really flat and lazy you know mm -hmm. it's like scenes like he it looks like he puts all of his thought into like certain moments and then the rest of the movie is just let's just try and get this done let's do it like this let's get it done have you seen the phantom menace documentary probably oh 
Oh man, dude, it's hilarious. It's on the special features. I don't know why he put this on the special features oh, of the DVD. I have seen those. Yeah, they're literally they go through all the making of, and then they're in post, and they're watching the first screen of it, and it ends, and he's like, "Hmm, I think I've gone too far." <laughs> and he's like, "And I can't take this out because that leads into this." And I couldn't take that out because that's bringing back what they talk about earlier. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty clear that he's out of his depth uh, the entire way. And he um, always has been, quite frankly. The original Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, is a very, very good movie. I know mm-hmm. people like Empire a lot. So is Empire. I, I think Empire is too. It looks great, but it's it not. He didn't. So it so good. Right. It looks even better. He didn't. <laughs> so, and also like, but, but Jedi is a borderline bad movie. You know, it's essentially yeah, it's not again. And it's not as interesting at this point because we already have all the stakes and whatever and so Mm -hmm. there are three movies in this series that are essentially a new hope at least right and then the Mm -hmm. movies that he's more responsible for he's bogged down in the details of and I don't think he understands that the success, and I kind of was talking about this earlier, the success of this movie is mythology. When this question goes around, like, what do you want from Star Wars? We want mythology. We want a sense of wonder and mystery and larger connection. I think he thought he was giving us that with a political mythology of, of, interplanetary fucking terrorism and trade agreements going bad and the jedi council fucking uh yeah no i it we're talking the galactic who the fuck cares nobody cares the galactic all plot (laughs) because nobody cares about what's in the in a new hope they talk about that shit the senate has been dissolved and we galactic move fucking past it nobody cares that it also violates like prequels are going to fail every single time just because it violates a fundamental rule of storytelling you need to start later in your story to begin with so going back yeah. and telling us how we got here is just uh, narratively inert it can never be interesting because we know the answer <laughs> mm-hmm. although i will say better call saul is doesn't like is the prime example of a show that does it well because we don't know much about fucking Jimmy McGill and it, Better Call that's Saul. My point that's, though, that's exactly what I'm talking about because it doesn't matter how we're not getting to <laughs> how we got to Breaking Bad. Nobody cares. That's not why that show is interesting. Stop internet. Oh yeah, yeah. I, although I did hear, I it is slowly bringing in people from Breaking Bad though, like. And that's Jimmy always fun. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. But, uh, but Jimmy is the reason that show is interesting. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's and a great the mythology character. of Jimmy is what we're watching build here. When Jimmy yes. comes into Breaking Bad, he's a mystery. He's a wild card. He's an ace. 
So it's not about yeah. getting us from point Jimmy to point Saul, right? <laughs> Like, yeah. not, sorry, let me re-say that. It's not about getting us from like wherever he is in, um, you know, lawyer at this law firm to Albuquerque working for uh, Heisenberg. Like, it's not the plot beats. We don't care about the name yeah. of his law firm or which city he's in or mm -hmm. necessarily what actually got him to that city. We give a shit about why he made those decisions. That's what we're watching unfold here. And that's when Star Wars succeeds, when it's being played out at a mytholog mythological level. So those decisions feel intuitive to us because we make those decisions just as an inherent storytelling mechanism. And Absolutely. And he lost sight of that really early on. I would argue by the run of the original trilogy, it's already kind of cycled in on itself or whatever, certainly by the prequels. And at this point, Ryan Johnson seems to be the only filmmaker who understands that this thing is about mythology. Oh, and but I, I thought he made a really bad movie. I don't like Last Jedi. I really don't like it. Yeah, I liked it. I liked some of it the first time I saw it. And then uh, like a year went by and I watched it again. And I hated it even more. And I don't think it's like the directing, like it, it looks great, obviously. The, the, probably one of the best looking ones there is. Uh, I thought Rise of Skywalker looked fucking terrible. Uh, not actually all of it, but it still looks fucking good. But just like, I don't know. Okay, Last Jedi. Sorry, hold on. Rise of Skywalker. I, Last Jedi, you're not a fan of. Uh, I don't like Rise of... I think I... I dislike Rise of Skywalker more than Last Jedi. Uh, yeah, uh, but here's, here's what I'm going to say. Ryan Johnson did what he did because Kathleen Kennedy and the people at Lucasfilm and Disney told him he can literally do whatever he wants to make a story. And, but you have to follow kind of what we're trying to do with our series but he negates everything that they tried to do apparently because Rise of Skywalker discredits everything that fucking Ryan Johnson sets up in his movie. Yeah, so weird. You got to the right conclusion, but you blame the wrong people. Cause Ryan oh no, uh, if people have come out and said, don't blame the director, like uh, John Boyega came out and said, don't blame JJ for Rise of Skywalker, blame everyone else. Okay. Because JJ came in and tried to save that movie. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think the uh, JJ Abrams is famously bad at endings, so it's a unfortunate choice for him to save the end really? of this. You don't like Super Eight? I like Super Eight. I like I like JJ Abrams. I'm a JJ Abrams fan. I'm actually rewatching Alias just kind of as a background <laughs> thing right now, and it's so much fucking fun, dude. That it's, show is is he the creator dumb. of that show? Yeah, and he was is like, he the creator? Yeah, and he was like the head writer for at least the first season or so, and oh, um, yeah, I knew he was a producer. No, that's his shit. Um, gotcha. It, it's very J.J. Abrams, and I love the stuff in there. It's the mystery box. I'm all about, you know, got to know what Rimbaldi was trying to do, man. But yep, The mystery box, man. Lost was all about the mystery box. But he doesn't know the answers. 
he's not interested well, in the answer. Lost, lost wasn't his show. Lost, he didn't create Lost. He was it, just a producer on it. Doesn't matter. He doesn't know the answers. But, he, but they do. They've they've talked about from the beginning. They knew point A to point. I don't know about Alias. I don't know how that show works. But like Lost, uh, uh, Damon Lindelof, who I personally think is a fucking genius. I love the leftovers. I loved his Watchmen take. Um, uh, one percent agree. Him and Carlton. What? What you say? Oh, I just one hundred percent agree. Those are both tremendous like two of the better shows that have ever been on television but if you really believe that they knew where they were headed or no i think they knew where they were headed where it's not that they're dead and we're like bro they're dead and they're like no no no, we got a plan and we're like can you just be honest about that and they're like it's not what you think and they're like no but it is but they're not fucking dead. That's what people don't understand. And I'm I'm tired of people who don't understand the show. Season about? six. Did you watch the show? Yes. So, uh, yeah. So each season does a flash forward, a flashback, or uh, like they all have those. So season six, they had to do something new. They did. They wanted to end it after season four, but the fucking abc would not let them because you don't cancel hit tv shows and so they're like okay well i guess we gotta fucking write 25 episodes again for another season so they're filling all these backstories as much as they can and then they uh they always knew that jack dies on the island everyone else gets off of the island so that final shot is jack dying on the island and then the parallel universe that happens of the island, uh, them never crashing on the island happens because it's Jack's purgatory for season six, but it's overlaying with them alive in real life. The, the island is real. Everything is real. Yeah, you've made a distinction without a difference. Whether it's one character or every character, the reality still abides by the same rules. So for them to say that that was not the reality and then make that the reality. No, it was, being is, on the island was, is a reality. It's real. It's not that they're dead. They are not, the island is a real place that is an energy thing that travels through time. Especially when you fucking, fucking pull the cork out or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> Allison Janney, she's mother nature. Oh man. Whoa, I love that show so much. I do too. And then the I, man in white and the man in black. Oh, good yeah. versus evil. Ooh, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I, nah, I love that. I, I love it too. I think we're arguing slightly different points about the sort of narrative stakes versus the reality of the world building. And I'm arguing the Wait, narrative so you stakes. think they're dead though? I'm saying it doesn't matter which one is dead at which point. I'm saying this, this, the narrative stakes of this story are about purgatory and resolving your issues. This is sort of what I've been alluding to this whole thing. It's not about the fucking plot, man. It's about the themes. And yeah, that's why Lost is so good. That's why it's, it's about characters and, good and ultimately, and it fails only in reputation because they kept saying it wasn't about what it was so clearly about. 
and it just made me crazy. No, well, everyone just kept saying when like that first season came out, like they're dead. The island's not real. It's probably like a purgatory, which is that all all that statement is completely wrong. The (laughs) island is a real place. I don't get why. I don't understand how people can't differentiate how they're telling a parallel story to what's really going on. They do it throughout the whole seasons, and I guess it just lost people somehow. <laughs> well, you just nailed it there. What I'm saying is that it, it, it doesn't matter that people can't tell the difference because there is, not, there is functionally no difference. There 100% is. Okay. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I, I disagree, and I, I think it speaks, I'll, I'll try and draw it back to Star Wars, I think it speaks to our view on Last Jedi versus the Rise of Skywalker. I think Last Jedi is successful because it's much more interested in the themes, whereas Last Jedi fails because it's, it's just only plot, you know? Nothing but plot. Yeah, it- Rise of Skywalker moves so fast too. It's like and yet it's you so into long. Yeah, it's so long too. <laughs> and it's so boring and so dumb. The way that the prequels all where you're just like, oh, we have the day. Oh, C3PO can see the thing, but he can't talk. To- what the fuck is this rule? Bullshit. But you know? I'm actually gonna hold firm to that. I think Last Jedi is extremely boring. Up only Carrie Fisher scenes are great. I love um um fuck why am i blanking on her name um laura dern love oh, laura dern's character from the cartoon uh i love that so moment of her sacrificing the ship. huh she's so good with carrie fisher yes love those scenes uh but i think he was just trying to like go too far out with it like there's Man, I really hate the fucking casino stuff. I hate the I fucking too, track gambling. I do too. And that's long. That's like 25 minutes. I hate okay. everything with Benicio del Toro because it adds up to nothing. Nothing. It, nothing. It, it, dude, it just like <laughs> you just made us watch all of this. <laughs> Again, just completely inert. And it is, that's one of my the things I hate most in a movie. Where like, <sighs> so the whole second act is meaningless. Why did you tell me this story? And it, if you're telling it. me a story about the nature of meaning, and we're doing a noir about double cross and red herrings, okay. But I reacted strongly to that. I also think this movie has another problem with the double beat in Luke's death. That really makes me crazy. He he dies on the battlefield, and then we got to watch him walk away and fade into the sunset for another ninety seconds. <laughs> But he doesn't die on the battlefield, right? Right. right. He, because he, he dies from like force projecting himself there. This is again what we're. T- this is our. We're going back on this thing. The plot is that he force projects himself onto the battlefield, makes yeah. this heroic moment, inspires the blah 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 blah. Then comes back into his body, becomes his own mm-hmm. self again, dies a physical and, death. Yeah. Everybody else, everybody watching this movie watched Luke die twice, yeah. right? That happened. It, whatever the reasons are for that, and it happened twice in a row. There's no like, 
scene between this, like the fucking Chewbacca stuff where we find out he didn't blow up on the transport, but it's literally the same scene twice in a row. And I don't know why, in what world you think that's acceptable screen, like that's just basic 101, cut one of these scenes make them well, like the me. first one the first one is like a, a false death right like it's right. but yeah it doesn't work yeah i'm not trying to defend it in fucking any way. Jedi stuff that we were just talking about where obi-wan dies to inspire the thing the only reason that movie that scene is in this movie is so we the audience can watch luke die alone that's for yeah. nobody else but i hate it so much and mm-hmm. uh, that all being said Every time I watch it, I like it more because the stuff that he's Ryan Johnson, the themes that he's interested in are more interesting. And this thing needs to go to a different place. I want new, more interesting, different stuff, right? So the idea that ultimately adds up to nothing of Benicio being like a double crosser and just a, a capitalist essentially that's interesting and worth exploring in this thing because it is a war and like the the actual kind of realities of war are a place where like the movies succeed also in Rogue One is really successful as a war film. I'm not going to go down that path right now. The the other <laughs> themes in terms of like, yeah, you taught me how to do this. I've learned from a lineage of women that's going on from like Leia to Dern to Rey throughout the whole thing is... Mm-hmm. It, you know, impactful also. Um, But it all speaks to the larger problem with all of this shit, which is that there is no grand plan and they don't have enough confidence to like indulge in the mythology and just let it wander because it's not a TV show. It's a billion dollar movie, which is neither hide nor hair making me crazy every yeah. last one of them I, you know what i i'm ranting and raving yeah, I'm rap, that's one of them. but the after watching these 11 movies and i'm a star wars fan guys i, I want to we'll sum up maybe by i want to talk about our relationship with these movies you know but these it was like the least i've enjoyed these films watching them all the way through i was just like i don't there's like one or two there's one really good movie in here there's like two or three decent movies mm-hmm. and there's just like a lot of junk man just a lot of fucking garbage yep uh uh <laughs> i'm just gonna say one thing about rise of skywalker its ending is one of the worst things they've ever done uh fucking uh, what's her name yeah and the old woman's like who are you <laughs> that's some prequel bullshit which okay fine you know what I mean? it's all star wars good enough i guess yeah, why does she see luke and leia at the end what? she sees luke and leia <sighs> you know what i'm really i fucking hate george lucas for taking out the original darth vader actor in um uh return of the jedi uh when luke yeah. sees him and replace him with uh hayden christensen like dude what are you doing i if i watched these if i hadn't grown up with uh the original actor it probably wouldn't offend Mm -hmm. me because hayden christensen is 
the face, like the actual face of Anakin. He's, you know, yeah. even on the TV show, that guy is modeled after Hayden Christensen. He's yeah. Anakin. He's not Darth Vader. No, but so, you know, if you watch all three or well, two movies where he's Darth Vader and then three movies behind the mask and then the mask comes off and he's a force ghost. You know, I don't know who that other guy is. What if, yeah. like, what if it was that guy still after Hayden Christensen had still been in the movies? That would be weird, right? No, no, because that's how Luke sees him. That's how Luke saw his dad. Luke saw him without, never knew him when he was Anakin. Knew him as Darth Vader and took off the mask and he's a scarred up old man. It needs uh, to be that old man. So because the plot of Star Wars dictates that force ghosts are the projection of the living visage of the person whom has perceived them and is perceiving them now. They can only be viewed through that lens, right? Yes, because then no, fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi would be Ewan McGregor. Obi-Wan would be Ewan. Right, right. So what are you talking about? No, no, no it can't be that. But here's why that's a problem. Because, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. What, there are different characters within this Star Wars universe. So let's say Yoda is hanging out with, um, I don't know, a fucking Count Dooku. And a force ghost shows up. And it's um, Darth Maul. But Darth Maul... Just shut up for a second. Hear me out. This is a physics joke. But Darth Maul used to be Yoda's apprentice. So in Yoda's eyes, he knows him as like a little bitty baby, right? But Dooku knows Darth Maul as like fucking big boy Darth Maul. So when Yoda and Dooku in this hypothetical situation are sitting next to each other, perceiving the force ghost of Darth Maul, no, version... No is in the reality. I don't like, I don't like that analogy because that doesn't work. It works. <laughs> no, because you're making you're making up stuff. Like none of the saying it's uh, a hypothetical. Like, Look, any character, like I'm saying any person could have known any person at any point in time, right? Like like if you I were only known my grandmother looked, let's take a real life example okay my grandmother uh -huh. would turn into a force ghost okay uh-huh because she's the baddest jedi in all of the land so yes when she turns into the force ghost me and my mom are hanging out one day and force ghost grandma shows up now does force ghost grandma is she grandma or is she my mom's mother who is a much younger woman in my mother's memory. So here's where you get, both of you are seeing this. Luke is the only one seeing the force ghost because he's the only one with the force. No one else can see that. Okay? Okay? So the fact that they, you got, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> but potentially, there could be multiple people with the force seeing a force. No, because only no. What? No. No. Okay. I'm sorry. 
first of all, we find out that Leia does have the Force, and at the end of Return yeah, of the Jedi, right, right. there's a bunch of fucking Force ghosts hanging around. So there are two Force-sensitive people in that place looking at some Force ghosts. Yeah. So, and I think for Leia, it would come across as how Luke had originally seen it with Leia old man has because never he, seen Darth Vader's her father. Face. I know, I know. But if what she were to seeing? see the force, what, what, what has she seen? She has never seen so him she, ever. Okay. Oh no, no. So she's she has. Seen him, she's seen Darth Vader. She's only seen Darth Vader. Yeah, and she knows of Obi Wan Kenobi and knows of um, uh, Yoda. Obviously, has she okay. met Yoda? Did they have a scene? I don't know. They don't think so. So. Yeah, she can't see Obi Wan or Yoda, and Luke no, is looking no, no, no. at. Wait, <laughs> Luke is looking no. at the broken face under the Vader mask, and Leia is looking at full suited Vader. No, so no, because I think it, they would share the same vision of the Force ghosts. So when you die, that's the you don't go back to being young when you die in the Force. Obi-Wan is still an old man. What? I, how but you that's can't. The, that's the only time that Luke has ever known him as, as an old man. He never knew his dad as Anakin. So what are you talking about? <laughs> this conversation <laughs> has been as meaningful to the Star Wars discourse as any other conversation in the Star Wars discourse. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man, this is um, okay. Well, I do want to say, uh, I I only saw Solo and Rogue One once in theaters. Hadn't watched them again until a few days ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed them more the second time. Solo has a lot of issues, though. They both have issues for me because I know they went through extensive reshoots right. and directors. <laughs> Yeah. Like, even though Solo Gareth Edwards really is labeled as Rogue One director. Yeah, huh? they're both uneven movies. But for me, Rogue One is kind of a movie of two halves or like a real saggy middle, at least. It, it suffers through the middle. But I like the beginning a lot. And the by the time they're on Scarif, you know, it's just like, I am one with the Force. The Force is with me. I love mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, and Solo is just like so uneven the whole way. It just is like so up and down that I can never like get into it. But there's a few sequences like that train heist sequence is all time for me. I think it's really, really cool. It, like I, I love it. I think it looks great. But there's one thing. There's no stakes. We know they're going to fucking get out of there because it's Han and Chewie and... Like, there are two characters that have outlived this moment in the universe already. So, it just didn't have any stakes. That's the whole yeah, the prequel problem. problem. The <laughs> stakes in that moment, for me, are between Woody Harrelson and Thandi Newton. And I yes. think that's why that sequence succeeded. Thandi uh, Newton on the bridge, man. Yeah. It's all good. I loved it all. Yep. Right on. Uh, one, though, I'm really curious why they change so much because you can see it from the trailers to the final movie 
there's scenes in the trailers that are not in the movie whatsoever or have changed like when um what's her what's um is it Jin? Jin. Jin Urso? Uh, yes, Urso. When she's on the catwalk mm-hmm. and she's getting the fucking hard drive or whatever. In the trailer, there's an X, uh, a fucking X-Wing that rises to her level and she turns to it. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck is happening there? But then that's not in the movie. <laughs> I and then there's shots of um, uh, Ben Mendelsohn in that final battle down on the battlefield he's never in the battlefield at all in the movie he's always up up top i mean and there's more shots of them in battle two in the trailer like actual Jin and uh diego luna's character it shows them doing way more you know and none of that sounds i mean the the x-wing being there sounds material to the story the rest of it's just sort of like well you know yeah uh but tony gilroy came in and did the rewrites not sure if i i I think he actually came in and did the reshoots i think he directed the scenes i don't know gareth edwards still has his full name on the director credit but i think tony gilroy wrote and directed the darth vader stuff (laughs) that stuff is so cool Yeah, that's some of the best stuff of the movie. So the fact that if you didn't have that in your original version, ooh, your movie probably would not have been as fun. Fair enough. No, you're definitely walking out of the theater just like charged up. And it was fun. I watched, I don't know how your order went this time. I did Phantom Solo. Oh, I did it chronological. So I did Phantom Attack, Revenge, Solo, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Uh, I'm sorry, Rogue One, uh, yeah. Solo, Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, I did them in order. I did basically the same thing, but I put uh, Solo in between Phantom and Clone Wars. Attack of the Clone. Yeah, sorry, shit. <laughs> because after seeing my my memory was like oh shit yeah Darth Maul shows up in uh, Solo so probably gotta no yeah oh did he what? did you not watch this damn movie Dylan no I did I did why he's the I don't remember. at the end and um, oh yeah 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 fuck off fuck <laughs> off that's not being in the movie. That, yeah, it's a cool moment, but that's not in the movie. I mean, fair enough. But that's the reason that I watched it after Phantom Menace, because I was like, oh, yeah, that dude that just got cut in half is in a movie that takes place after this? Right, because he gets the spider legs in the TV show. But it's, but it's many years after Phantom, right? There, it's yeah, at least 10, 15 years. A, Attack of the Clones is 10 years after Phantom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a 10 year gap between those two movies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Seemed like the place to put it. And then, yeah, but my. There's what a seven. There's a seven year gap between Return of the Jedi and Mandalorian. Is that what it is? Six years? That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, You you finished Mando? I haven't finished. No. No. Oh, damn. I know. 
Well, I'm sure it's been spoiled for you already. Yeah, I heard all about it, man. Not all about it. You know, I kind of like turned the internet off when it showed up. But yeah, it sounds very exciting. Oh, it's a very uh, great moment. And uh, yeah, I won't say anything until you watch it. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I'll, I'll just circle it back around to the point to be like, TV, you know, sci- t- sci-fi and television work really well together. TV and Star Wars, I think, can work really well together. Love to see more. We'll see what they, how they do, um, what is it, the Book of Boba? Book of Boba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How they spill yeah. the yeah. Anything else, Fun. Dylan? No, not really, man. I think we said everything we need to say. We've said a lot of stuff. I okay actually there is one more thing because I promised I wanted to talk about our relationships with this thing because okay yeah I I was (laughs) it was man it was fun to argue with you about force ghost because (laughs) so much man the fun of nerd shit is arguing with other nerds about nerd shit and it's like stupid and fun and silly (laughs) non-consequential and the fact that the discourse has gotten to this point of just like toxicity and insanity and i mean when you get a billion dollars involved i guess that's gonna happen but it's a bummer you know because these things that are super important to me that i really really love i just can't engage with the same way and it's it's a little sad man so for me i've talked about on this podcast before that i was raised by hippies and had a, a real strict sort of media diet and one of the Mm -hmm. only things my mom let in very early on in my life was star wars and i remember specifically her reasoning was that there was no blood it was like laser weapons and stuff like that so i was never going to get the impression that a real gun was an okay thing to shoot at somebody or you know that that was like the soft violence that was acceptable in our household so it was literally the only I had the uh original editions and then the uh special editions but I kept both of them side by side my mom still has them on VHS and I watched both of them just like over and over and over and over again because I literally didn't have access to any other movies you know for Mm -hmm. a long time and the other one that she let in the house was The Little Mermaid because somebody gave it to us as a gift and she like didn't make me give it back I remember her like Dude, I had to give movies back because it was like, no, you can't watch that. It's too violent. Oh, so, oh man, that's a bummer. I'm telling you, bro. So Star Wars uh, is like the only fucking thing. So it's just by default, just by having watched it 20,000 times as a seven-year-old, my very favorite movie of all time. And it probably always will be. Fucking A. Okay. Well, my little personal connection to them, the prequel trilogy, like uh, I love the originals. Like I was, I was super young when the prequels came out, but I, I, I had the original VHS tapes. I saw the remasters in theaters and got the remastered VHS tapes. So when Phantom Menace was coming out, I was fucking stoked. And all of the prequels came out within days of my birthday. Mm-hmm. all of them right so yeah. it was always like a birthday thing for me to go see them in theaters awesome uh man yeah 
and now the newer ones fall around my buddy's birthdays and it was funny <laughs> it was almost like december 16th fucking there was a star wars movie coming out and it, no it's sailor's birthday <laughs> that's dope man birthday traditions <laughs> I had, oh, man. when <laughs> one of the movies i got away with seeing as a kid was judge dread because it was somebody's birthday party and we went to like the sleepover movie theater experience and his mom uh, took us in uh, stallone right stallone. yeah yeah like the 94 yeah. one i mean i was little <laughs> yeah i i remember just like an image of that movie i don't know if i've seen the whole thing it's just an image i have of him huh yeah i don't think i've ever seen that Hey, buddy, <laughs> next week we're doing Judge Dread. <laughs>